Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. Yeah, I'm having fun riding and had a few races now, or I guess one race. Let's not oversell this. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. How about you? Uh, starting to panic slightly because uh, the Leadville Trail Marathon. So that's for some reason, whenever I say Leadville Trail Marathon, people keep asking me, how long is that? And I'm like, well, mm. it's it's a marathon. But I think Leadville just throws people off because you automatically think 100. Right. Uh, but anyway, it's a qualifier for the 100 miler. It's a 26.4 mile race. So I guess technically it's slightly longer than a maybe to a lot of our cycling friends now have been switched over to thinking marathon mountain biking Mm -hmm. which is just means it's long ish and often like 80 to i just saw the the world championship series or whatever they're calling the the new mountain bike stuff that has championship series of the world marathon built into it and so that's often i think it has to be over 80 or a certain amount of climbing don't quote me on that but uh it was 120 kilometers for the marathon so i think that's where some of the confusion fair enough Fair but enough. but you're feeling ready to go run a marathon at altitude up a vertical hill. Uh, no, what I'm trying to say is I am decidedly not. And actually, uh, as this episode's coming out, we're under a month to go, which is a little terrifying for me. But, you know, I'm excited. Like, it's it's a very unknown situation. And we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, but, you know, today we're, we're talking all about breathing. So uh, naturally, it's very much top of mind. But before we get into today's guest, uh, quick pause to talk about our sponsor inside tracker so inside tracker i mean we've been using them long before they ever came on the show as a sponsor they've been a past sponsor of the show and their blood marker testing is just something that we've recommended for forever and have paid full price for happily Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. a long time now for sure. And, and I mean, one of the cases might be, uh, you know, we, we always have to go between it's available both in Canada and the US. Uh, and, you know, for someone like yourself going to altitude, which I believe Luke and I actually talk a little bit, well, you certainly talk about altitude. I don't know if we touch on blood or not today. Uh, but the common recommendation, A, just for athletes is, you know, two or three times, four times a year even, which is hard to get in Canada, you know, with our universal health care, you know, they'll maybe give you one if you're lucky. Uh and then in the U.S., it can also be hard, right? You might be paying out of pocket or it might be hard as well. So this is a way you could pay out of pocket, I guess, uh, to get that. And all that to say, you know, to test something like ferritin or iron before you go to altitude, which is the common recommendation. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, what we've heard from, you know, a couple of different people, and it's not necessarily inside tracker, but it is blood testing wise, they you know, other, they were feeling totally fine, but actually our podcast talking about sort of that yearly check-in and going to either the doctor or getting that blood work done actually did end up showing major issues. We said the one was, what was it? Kidney something. Kidney failure, Failure. almost in kidney failure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is terrifying, but I mean, A, nice, I guess, nice to hear that things resolved. And uh, yeah, I guess a reminder for the rest of us that there is a reason there's sort of this regular blood work and doctor's appointments. Yeah. And I mean, we often talk about, oddly enough, like exercise can kind of almost hide a lot of problems because it's actually like sort of like solving them in the like 
moment, but it's actually like you're not seeing some of the the long term stuff. So it's definitely no matter how healthy you're feeling, I think it's really good to get checked in and stuff. And I mean, even just having those markers as your baseline is really helpful, I think, than going to the doctor if something feels off. Well, certainly. And then if we were talking about supplementation or these things where you do want to have these tests for a lot of these supplements, I mean, as you know, common as vitamin D, you know, you might be someone who for some reason just has a, a you know, really good stocks of vitamin D, you might not need to supplement or, you know, the more common thing is you might have a reason to supplement more aggressively. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you've had, uh, you have pretty high iron naturally, but norm, you know, an athlete would normally get kind of pushed towards supplementing with iron. Sure. Yeah. Even, you know, that's, uh, again, I think you would read that in a lot of things before you go to altitude, just start taking iron supplements, mm-hmm. which may still be a good, but you know, if you're someone who has hemochromatosis or something like this, where the iron stores are, you know, just really high genetically, uh, again, might not be the great best advice. Yes. And of course, you know, we've talked about it a lot. Mobile blood draw makes it so easy to get this done. You book it, they come, they take your blood, they leave. It's great. You feel like a little bit like a vampire just visited the house, but in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. And it's just, yeah, super convenient. And sometimes, you know, if, if there's something like, because cortisol is one of the ones that gets yeah. tested, right? And so it's one of those ones where, you know, are you a you know, suddenly you're fasting to do like a 10 a.m. blood thing and you're nervous because you're at the doctor and then you scream at someone because you're driving there and, and then maybe the blood work isn't as reflective of just your normal morning routine. Sure, it's, so. it's like when you go to the, bl- the doctor and they're like, we're going to take your blood pressure now. And you're like, well, it's not going to be good. Right. Um, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> for a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store and lots of good stuff in there. You can also do DNA testing and all that fun stuff. Uh, when you sign up over at insidetracker.com backslash consummate, we'll include that link in the show notes. Again, it is insidetracker.com backslash consummate for 20% off. Can't beat that. All right. Let's so we're talking about breathing today. Yeah, we have Luke Way from Isocapnic and Breathe Way Better. Uh, Breathe Way Better is their product, which uh, over the years I've spoken about Spyro Tiger and respiratory training or huffing into a bag, as I like to call it sometimes. Yeah, ironically, you are so much better about adding this to your routine, considering you're not racing at altitude. I am, but you're much more likely to be on the the breathing. Well, I, I own a Spyro Tiger, so that is an advantage. Yeah, but I live with you. <laughs> well, you can't huff into my bag. <laughs> uh, so going from that, we we speak about this product they've come up with, which is, you know, a lot of the barriers to using Tiger. I've always said is, you know, I believe in it, but there's sort of two, two barriers and the one was cost. And so they've really overcome this. Now it's, you know, pretty cheap. We say, you know, about as you know expensive as a chain seems to be these days. Uh, I mean, that could be anywhere from like 50 to like $8,000. Right. So you're so. maybe, uh, you know, around 200, say, uh, plus or minus, but then you get it delivered. But you know, this is stuff we'd easily spend that on a supplement or, a, you know, again, a, a bike part that means nothing, right? The price of some of these like bearing things. So and the the thing is that it, it potentially can be quite uh, health, if not performance enhancing for especially for some of us who maybe have an asthma or just, you know, just for some reason have a breathing strategy that's evolved with us over the years. Maybe we've had injuries, you know, ribs or something like that, that have, have now we're someone who doesn't breathe overly well. Yeah. Now, do you and Luke talk about the, so the money is one thing. Time, I think, is the other huge barrier to doing stuff like this. I mean, it's certainly where I come in. Uh, I think it these breathing things are great if you work at home and a lot of your work can be done by just looking at something on your computer screen. Like if you have to read a lot for work, if you're, you know, working at something like that where you're not necessarily having to 
type constantly. Sure. And so that's the second barrier is that a lot of people don't want to huff into a bag. Uh, and, and you'll see people, they'll get really motivated. And I, I was no different. Like I got really motivated around, you know, we're going to Leadville. So I got amped. And then I was talking to Luke. So I got really excited about it. And I, I know it's been probably two or three weeks, if I'm honest, and I haven't because, you know, it, the weather's nice and we can ride outside and life is busy. Um, now, that said, uh, you know, someone who I have one client who we talk a bit about on this episode who's gotten the breathe way better. And it's it's a big limitation. So it is that question of would you have someone go and ride their bicycle or would you have them breathe into a bag? And it doesn't always have to be either or, especially when we're indoor training in the winter. You know, you can integrate this into your ride or your workouts. And I do see this as actually being really helpful for someone who maybe travels a lot for work and can't necessarily bring their bike. And it is like a hectic situation mm -hmm. where they can't get to, you know, they can't get out and do their ride or their run. Sure. Maybe this could actually be, you know, with some body weight stuff in their hotel room, like boom, you're at least doing something. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, you know, not every idea we present on the podcast is always something that's like perfect or that we agree with, uh, you know, perfectly. But I do think that this is something that we should all be aware of and that for some people actually would be a, a big deal, like a big boon, whether it fits into your life because you can't leave your kids alone, uh, you know, to get out to ride your bike. And maybe this is one thing you can do that that will have benefit uh, or you're someone who's very limited by breathing. Um, there's just a lot of potential here, I think, uh, but it doesn't have to be for everyone either. For sure. Now, quickly, before we get into it, is there a way that someone could, you know, maybe suss out if they do have issues with breathing? Like, I mean, I, I for some people, obviously, you know, you have that asthmatic breathing going, that's a, that's a clear right. one, but... What about for the rest of us? Like, how do you know? Well, you could certainly go get testing. And certainly that's something that Luke believes a lot in. And again, something that, you know, I, I go the opposite way on a little bit. I believe in it. But then again, there's things that I find just are often bigger. But for some people, it would be very worth going. And it looks sort of like a VO2 max test where they're taking gas analysis while you're riding your bike potentially. But they can also do some things uh, like a forced uh FAC forced ventilatory capacity test where you sort of huff really hard once uh sort of how how much can you blow up in in one uh so they measure the the capacity of your lungs and how fast it comes out as well do you think dw was listening to this interview because i feel like he's been super huffy with us lately just like Could be. <laughs> just uh, but all that to say i mean some people will know that they have it we, t we speak a bit about this right some people it's not as obvious some because there's the the asthma avenue you know we're actually like trying to overcome something like that so that's fairly obvious you're someone who's taking a strategy of really shallow breathing but then there would also be the more complicated cases which i think is where luke definitely would get excited and my mentor steve neal you know certainly is someone who's really into spiro tiger and breathing uh as well and, and testing for these things uh and so you do end up with a otherwise very fit elite athlete who's really maximize the utilization that is the the ability of the muscles to use oxygen but then might be limited by the ability to bring in more oxygen to the muscles or, or of those muscles to fatigue um, so it, you can get really really kooky uh, but it may be someone who otherwise is functioning very well. And this actually might be another layer to add on. And for those elite athletes, there might be the time and the day and, and the discipline to sit there every morning, you know, and do, uh, you know, these breathing exercises. I just have to ask one more obvious question before we get into it. Can any of this be like tested or done with just a balloon? Like if I can't blow up a balloon very efficiently, is that does that make me a good candidate for this? Um, yeah, I mean, potentially if, if, if with that one blowing exercise, there are some exercises where you sort of lay on your back and actually do breathe, like blow up a balloon. Uh, and they're sort of neat. I don't know that it would, you know, give you a yes, no answer, but I mean, if it is sort of like a screen for 
you know, the mechanics of your breathing, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, yeah. You could look that up, I'm sure, if you looked up like balloon exercise, laying on ground or something like that. Love it. Yeah. All right, well, hopefully this gives everyone just a little bit of a, you know, kind of a, a glance into the whole breathing concept and definitely uh, let us know, you know, head over to... Uh, Instagram or just our contact page on our website and let us know if like stuff like this is interesting to you because I think these new technologies are like honestly fascinating so mm-hmm. happy and, to do and, more. and we love this too because it is a bit of a business like again Luke's done a great job developing this product to address the price that uh, aspect uh, so certainly we could have someone his partner Andrew Sellers uh, Dr. Andrew Sellers we could have him on we've already spoken to them a bit about that so if there are follow-up questions about respiratory training we can certainly have uh, some of these folks on as well Perfect. All right. With that, let's get into this episode with Luke Way. All right. Excited to welcome Luke Way to the show. Luke, thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Really excited to be here. Now, you're uh, an endurance coach like myself. You know, you've been around for a bunch of years here. Uh, we yeah. share a lot of sort of commonalities in, in what we've seen and what we've done. You've gone in some ways in different directions. So I'm excited to, to chat with you today, uh, specifically around respiratory training. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, we, have, uh, we have some common threads in our past and uh, yeah, I mean, my, my, you know, current focus right now is sort of Olympic pathway, uh, triathletes. Um, but, uh, I try to help as, as many, you know, people as I, as I can, uh, with, you know, the programs that I'm a part of. That's right. And, and you're not just an endurance coach as many endurance coaches tend to have other things. You're also the CEO of Isocapnic. Um, and this is a, a company that you've sort of created here along with a couple of other smart people, uh, to bring respiratory training, you know, sort of more, you make it more accessible, I guess would be what I would say. Is that what you would say you've done? Yeah. So, um, we've been a proponent of, uh, of training, um, systematically for, you know, two decades. And, uh, in that process, we've, you know, honed our, our ability to assess athletes, um, using VO2 devices and muscle oxygenation devices and, you know, obviously heart rate and wattage and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so the whole idea was trying to drill down to objectively understand what systems are strong, what systems are weak and, you know, really take the guesswork out of, out of the coaching prescription, give us a really clean and easy idea as, as to how to move forward with training, you know, objectively, um, in that process, uh, you know, or pretty early on uh, identified that respiratory system was a, was a major limiter as you know, the, the students of Jörg Feldman would, uh, would, would be, uh, led to believe as well. Um, and so, uh, we used various tools over the years to, uh, to try to isolate this, uh, this, you know, respiratory system limiter, um, and, uh, ran into problems with, with, uh, being able to get it accessible within our, our, you know, continent, uh, to price point issues, to sponsorship issues, and just all sorts of stuff is, is very hard to work with the company. Um, and that, and there was not a whole, whole lot of know-how on, on what to do with it once you got it. So you're paying extravagant costs for these devices. And, um, and I'm talking about Spire Tiger in general. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so being able to, our, our mandate in this next project is to really hit those pain points as best we can, give people the, the best knowledge and the best protocols that they could ever need um, to see improvements um, with a tool that's, that's a fraction of the cost and, and uh, quite frankly, easy to use. 
That's right. Okay. And, and so, uh, you know, listeners may remember, you know, we've had Steve Neal on, you know, maybe three times over the years. Uh, we've been doing this for seven years. I think we've had him on three times, uh, which were some great episodes. And, and Steve was my coach way back in my mentor in coaching uh, and certainly as a proponent and, and I believe working with your product and with your company a little bit here too. Uh, so that would be something someone folks could go back and listen to. Uh, and also yeah. I've, I've sort of sprinkled and mentioned Spyro Tiger and respiratory training, but always with the caveat that eh, it's, you know, 1200 bucks. I don't know if it's worth people's time. And so your product breathe way better. Uh, isocapnic, uh, you know, by isocapnic is, is now a much more affordable, you know, in the realm that, you know, for cyclists, you know, endurance people who are spending, what are we spending on shoes now? Our running shoes are worth $400 for one yeah, race or something. So, yeah. You know, it's, it's very much in, you know, the price point of where, you know, I think, especially for someone who, you know, we're sure we're going to get performance benefits. Like this yeah. is not, <laughs> you know, this is yeah. a chain, this is a chain or something like that now. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, so one of the major pain points is that it's that price point. Right. And it kind of seemed like, you know, the, uh, the value of, of the newest Spire Tiger was just getting so out of hand that there's just no way that, that the average athlete could get into it, you know? Um, and so, uh, we really wanted to like hit that hard. So, um, making it 150 USD just, just makes it easy enough for people to, to get into, um, and, uh, and, and have, you know, that barrier for entry removed, you know, that's really mm -hmm. the, uh, the key for us. Okay. I really like it. So, you know, I think we have listeners, you know, sort of as going with that, we have, we've covered this over podcast. We have a various listeners who are, you know, going to be still a little confused what we're talking about when we say respiratory training, you know, do you mean okay. breathe in? Do you mean win half? Well, like, what are we doing yeah. here? Are we getting yeah. nice? I don't really know what you're talking about, you know, uh, or, or, and then we'll have some that, you know, maybe have played around with different tools or, or things along the way, whether that's, you know, the masks or the whatever. So yeah. when you're yeah. talking about respiratory, respiratory training, you're talking about a specific type. So do you want to take us through just sort of like, you know, a, a very, high, uh, I guess, low level, not high level. Is it high level, yeah. high level, yeah. uh, well, a, gonna, a uh, brief, a Twitter, you know, what is respiratory training? What do we need to know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, specifically, uh, we're in the, in the, the food group the, the, uh, the field of, of respiratory muscle training. Um, I like to further drill it down to, uh, isocapnic respiratory training. Um, isocapnic being the capturing, the isolating of CO2. So allowing you to, uh, to focus on your respiratory system without the issues of, of exhaled gases. Um, so to start out, uh, your lungs, right. Is the, is the part of your body that, that takes in oxygen and gives out uh, CO2, right. So as our body, you know, creates movement, creates energy, um, ATP is our energy source of our body. The production of that ATP requires oxygen and it, um, gives off CO2 as a byproduct that CO2 needs to be vented. It needs to be, you know, exhausted, uh, like the exhaust of your car. Um, and, uh, in our research, we've seen um, upwards of about 70%, including professional level athletes, 70% uh, of people have uh, some sort of respiratory limitation to their performance, meaning that they're, the way that the muscles um, use their lungs is limiting their ability to, uh, to perform at a higher level. And so that it can come in, in several different shapes and sizes. That can be the frequency at which that they can contract and relax those muscles. That can be the total range of motion that they're able to, to utilize. 
Um, or it could be um, yeah, a strength problem or an endurance problem. Um, and then we can get into even more complicated things with like, you know, people's ability to, uh, um, to tolerate CO2. That's another thing that's, that's a trainable system within our bodies. But for most people, it's just learning how to breathe. Most people don't realize like just how important and how powerful their lungs are to, to, to drive everything. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite way to, uh, to explain this to people, and you probably heard this on Sonia's podcast is, um, everybody understands the idea of a range of motion of like your arm, for example. Right. And so if you think about the, the range of motion of your bicep, and so you have your arm nice and straight, you can relax it in that nice and straight, uh, orientation. Um, and then you can squeeze it and bring your, your hand to your shoulder and you can close your, your bicep in that range of motion. Um, and you can also relax it in that closed range of motion. Your lungs don't function like this. Your lungs relax in the middle of the range of motion. It takes energy for you to open them up to full range and then they they elastic back to the mid range of motion. And then it takes energy to close them, right? Blow out all the air. And then again, it wants to, you know, elastic back to that middle range. And so it's a unique range of motion compared to most other things in your body. Um, the other piece of that, that's, that's important to understand is that your, your body uses your respiratory system all day, every day, right? And you're, you should be using it in a, in a small range of motion that's metabolically cheap, right? So, in a in, in a way that doesn't cost you anything, I, I, one of my favorite, um, uh, uh, you know, sayings within exercise physiology is the body will always do whatever's easiest. And so, um, when you're just at rest, sitting at your desk, working, doing, doing your thing, sleeping, you shouldn't be breathing eight liter, you know, breaths. It should be very relaxed, should be very easy. But if you have that large range of motion, it's nice to be able to use it. And we know there's benefits to being able to access bigger ranges of motion. Um, an, an easy concept to explain this is, you know, when, we start training and we start racing, we start working a little bit harder, our body produces that that extra CO2 and we need to vent it off. We need a little bit more oxygen and we need to breathe that in. And so um, if we're taking small little breaths, then um, we're, we're just mixing um, a lot of the, uh, of, of the gases we're trying to get out with a little bit of the gases that we're trying to get in. So um, a way that I'll try to explain this is, is you know, your lung tissue itself is, is the, the stomping grounds for the transfer of those molecules, oxygen and CO2 above that is your bronchial tubes, right? And that's just tubes that's plumbing essentially between your lungs and your mouth. There's no absorption happening there. And so we'll call that dead space, right? It's just dead space. We're just like moving air through there. Um, I heard a, a good analogy for this, like, um, you know, you turn your hose on at the spigot and you let water flow out. When you turn the hose off at the spigot, there's still water left in the hose, even though there's no more airflow or uh, water flowing out. It's the right. same thing with the bronchial tubes. There's dead space in there. That air just sits in there and does nothing. Yeah. And so the faster and smaller you breathe, the more you're just like moving air through that dead space and not purging it out and pulling in new air every single time. So, um, and, and when you consider like breaths per minute, let's say you're breathing, you know, one liter per breath and there's 
200 milliliters of dead space uh, in your bronchial tubes, then like you're having to cycle, like, let's say you're, you're, you're doing that 50 times a minute, right? So you're, you're just re, like re having to rebreathe that 200 milliliters out. So that's, you know, that's right. Uh, a, a big portion of your of your total uh, um, volumes is actually being re, re, rebreathed every t- single time. Right. So your efficiency yeah. drops quite a lot. Um, if we are to take that one liter and expand it to four liters or five liters or whatever your particular range of motion might be, then it it takes up a much smaller percentage of the total volumes um, breathed per breath, and that's what we want. Is we want it to take up as little of that uh, that total as possible. I like it. And so in, improving that, that, that overall efficiency so of gas. Yeah. Exchange. I was gonna say that's sort of like efficiency. Now, I don't know if there's more benefits. I'm sure there's a, a few more there we haven't quite yep. got to, but just uh, even simpler still, you know, essentially what we're talking about here is you're sitting, I always say you're sitting there huffing into a balloon or you don't even have to sit, yeah. you could stand, you can do a variety of different postures, yep. I guess, but you, you have this balloon with a mouthpiece and you're huffing into it in a rhythmic fashion. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> let me, let me explain like, um, sort of the way that, that isocapnic training works. And so um, in the past, uh, the, the breathing machines uh, we used to use would have a magnetic valve that when you filled the balloon up uh, fully, the valve would flick open because of pressure and you'd vent off a little bit of your exhaled gases, right? And then you start breathing in, the valve closes, and then you start breathing in out of the out of the bag. And once the bag is completely empty, again, the valve flicks open and you get a little bit of fresh air in. And so every single like breath, you're getting a little bit of fresh air or a uh, uh, a little bit of CO2 out, a little bit of oxygen in, right? And so it's it's calibrated to keep you uh, um, safe at rest in that way by flicking the valve. Now, the pain points that we saw was that one, you had to absolutely nail your bag size because if the bag was a little bit too big, you didn't flick the valve at all and you hyperventilated. And then if if uh, the bag was uh, too small, then you're constantly over breathing the valve and it's not actually a challenge and you can hyperventilate. And so it, it was a finicky system to try to get right um, for any particular athlete. For um, the way our brilliant engineer uh uh, solve this problem is just with fluid dynamics. It's really simple. Our device has no moving parts. And so you, you breathe um, into the device and it's constantly venting out a small percentage of your exhaled gases and filling up the bag while it's doing that. And then as you're breathing in, you're breathing the vast majority out of the bag, but also pulling in a, a small percentage out of the, the vent hole. And so you're constantly kept in that like that normal capnia range, your CO2 levels stay very stable. I mean, I, I think at some point we should probably talk about the importance of CO2 because it's really sure. the crux of all of this. Yeah, we'll get yeah, to so that. I, I would say that yeah. was one of my questions, you know, as a Spyro Tiger owner and, and, and user yep. was, you know, that was some of the confusion I had was around like not having to have, you know, five bags, you know, <laughs> buy yep. all these extra bags yeah, uh, and, and the magnet and that sort of stuff. So maybe so if I understand right, you're sort of just, uh, I don't know if it's osmosis, but you said fluid di- dynamics where the air yep. from the air, the normoxic air, I guess, is, yep. is coming from the room you're in and yep. into the bag through this little yep. like extra space. And then it's keeping us, you know, at normal. We're not, we're not suffocating. We're not, no, you know. Exactly. But, yeah. You're okay. not over breathing. You're not under breathing. It's keeping your blood gases stable. Okay. And that's like, that's the whole, the whole point of isocapnic iso meaning to control capnia co2 CO2. and so that's 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 our that's our magic sauce is just controlling co2 
Okay. And then while we're on the, the versus Spyro Tiger and the bag size, like, do you ever yep. limit the bag size or is it always just everyone just use five liter bags, like bigger bags or what's, how, how do you do that? You know, even personally, you know, I, you probably can, it seems like people yep. are from what I can yep. suss out on Instagram, but what, what, what would you recommend? <laughs> yeah. So, um, certainly like I have an athlete that has, you know, over nine liter lungs. And so to challenge him, I have to have a, a special bag made. Um, uh, but for the vast majority of people, uh, a five and a half, six liter bag is, is really big, more, more than sufficient, if, if not too big. Um, and that's fine with the way our device works. It, it's better to be too big than too small. And so that's, that's the ideal is that because you're constantly getting that, you know, trickle fed fresh air and venting off enough CO2 that you're, you're maintaining those numbers. My five foot one mom can breathe the full size bag. No problem. Now, the reason for somebody to maybe clip the bag is to just give themselves like an indicator of where, of like, if they're improving, right? Mm-hmm. So as you're, you know, as you're just getting started, you might only be able to breathe one third or half of the bag. And that's totally cool. So you cycle that, that size until we start seeing better, bigger ranges of motion um, being developed. And then you start moving that bag clip down a little bit. Um, but that's only, that's the only reason to do it. It's just to give you some sort of biofeedback feeling of when you're filling that, that volume and, and exhaling that volume. Right. Um, and that was, I think yeah. you're, I think that makes sense. Like I can do five, but the, one of the clients that I have using this is a very, like, I guess just shallow breather. And then we've yep. seen this in racing like it was obvious it's one of these cases where some of the cases you're going to talk about like you can't always tell that someone's you know has a respiratory limiter like you say they could be professional yeah. athletes right and this is just a limiting on yep. them getting faster the, the system yep. that's the most limiting system but sometimes I, I think i think you'd agree that sometimes it's like pretty obvious that this is <laughs> some mechanics some stuff right uh yeah. that, that might, might be improved um and and so for him it, it's very much like i was like ah, i feel like we probably could use the the clip just to make the bag a little smaller there, but I wanted, I'm glad that we're yeah. talking because I want to double check that this was, you know, within what you were envisioning. Yep. Yeah, no. And, and, and like I said, there, there's no, there's no medical reason for you to have to clip the bag to be safe. Right. The once like after two breaths, the gases in, in the, uh, in the rebreather bag are completely mixed, uh, uh, in an isocapnic way and allows you to maintain blood gas level, uh, in the, in the normal range. Okay. Uh, maybe, yeah, let's go to, you, you mentioned sort of uh, isocapnic and, and carbon dioxide there. And, and I yeah. had a question around sort of even hypoxic, uh, you know, and, yeah. and maybe, which is maybe getting too much carbo. Yeah, that's, carbo- that's cer- cer- certainly like, like more higher level is that uh, hypercapnia and hypoxia work, but we could definitely get into that. But at, at, before we even get there, yeah. um, it's always important for people to understand that just the value of CO2. Let's do it. Um, and so you, um, do you do much like physiologic testing with athletes? No. And I would say that's where okay. I'm a believer, but also a skeptic. Yeah. So you, you'll okay. have to convince yeah. me, but, but okay. this is no how, problem. you know, you're getting better. So go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so through, you know, if, if you do any, like, let's just do like a, uh, an incremental step test. We'll make, we'll pop you on the bike and slowly make it harder until you explode. Um, if we were to just put a pulse oximeter on your finger, right? So it's just any, like any pharmacy around the world will have a pulse oximeter, throw it on your finger and you can measure how much oxygen is flowing through your bloodstream. Um, as you start huffing and puffing and going harder and harder, you'll notice that your pulse oximeter won't fluctuate that much. It'll stay 98, 
96, 97, mm -hmm. maybe when you're going really hard, you assuming you're at around sea level or within, you know, a thousand meters of sea level, it's mm -hmm. going to stay, you know, around like above 90%, right? And so I think at no point are you, are you like really stressing your ability to get oxygen? Go and ahead. during the pandemic, I think a lot of people became more familiar with that because of respiratory illness. Sometimes yeah. you'll see it actually decrease if you have respiratory illness, especially severe yeah. respiratory yeah. illness. COPD absolutely yeah. is, is yeah, yeah uh, usually defined by by a sort of a chronic like low uh, oxygen level and sure. a high CO two level. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so so anyway so um, so we can we can establish that that oxygen is generally not is not the reason why you're huffing and puffing, even though you're pushing on your bike, oxygen levels are high and yet you have this like insatiable hunger to breathe. Right. And it's not because of the oxygen, because there, we've already proven that there's tons of oxygen in the system. It's the CO2 that's being produced. It's the byproduct of ATP, that energy of our body. That's so critical to, uh, to, to our system. Um, as, as we produce that ATP in the working muscles, it dumps CO2 into the bloodstream and that affects blood pH. Um, our chemoreceptors in our brain monitor that pH very, very tightly. If it goes up a little bit too high, it'll like, like start to make you breathe harder. If it goes up a little bit higher than that, then it'll, it'll do what it can to like dilute that extra CO2. It wants to maintain the, the, the ratio of CO2 to blood. And so it actually pumps more blood and vasodilates the system, making more total blood volume for the level of CO2. If this goes on long enough and hard enough and high enough, then you'll vasodilate to a point where the blood falls out of your head and you faint. And that's what I call your brain saying, you're no longer responsible for the breathing of this body. I will take over from here. Right. And, and, and you might see like a decrease in performance. Like you might have to slow down or, or you know, yeah. someone would say oh, yeah. I, I blew up or I bonked or something. Yeah. You know, no one, no one in real sports pushes to the point of fainting very, very like it'd be extremely rarely. Um, you, there's so many like uh, red flags that, uh, that go off in your brain uh, uh, telling you to slow down before that uh, even gets close to occurring. Right. Um, and it's the same thing on the other end when you're, uh, when your pH rises, uh, and your acidity, uh, um, drops is, uh, um, when CO2 gets too low, we vasoconstrict right down and same thing. It sort of, uh, occludes off the amount of blood that can travel around your system. Again, limiting performance and, and limiting, uh, the amount of blood flow going to your brain. Um, and so that's why our, 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 our system, you know, our, our chemoreceptors of our brain regulate that CO2 very, very tightly. Now, um, this is why like, it's very important for us to control that CO2. Um, all right, so let's then look at this in terms of, of training the respiratory system, the system that blows off CO2. And let's train it the same way that like, if you're a personal trainer at your YMCA to, to, to get bigger biceps, right? You go in there and you ask, hey, I wanna get bigger biceps. Like, okay, pick up a dumbbell, start doing bicep curls, right? We can't really do that with our respiratory system very effectively. If I were to say to you right now, all right, you want to, you want stronger lungs. I want you to breathe as deep and as hard as you can until failure. Well, typically you're not going to fall into a, a muscular failure before you faint because you're going to blow off all your CO2 and you're going to feel really, really poor. And so what our device does is allows you to recapture the majority of that CO2 and rebreathe it. So your blood gases and your chemoreceptors all stay happy. 
And yet you're able to use a range of motion and an intensity that's relevant to training your respiratory system. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's very important to, to remember with the respiratory system is that the diaphragm is an endurance muscle. It's a quote unquote, slow twitch or a slow to fatigue muscle. And so to, to train it in, in a, in a 30 breath maximum constricted you know, regime doesn't make sense. We need to sustained effort to actually effectively train it. And you, there's two ways to do that. Get on your bike or get on your running shoes and, and train. You got to get out and move. So you're producing enough CO2 that you can drive that respiratory system harder. And that's what we've done for years. This is what naturally people do. If, if, if they're naturally able to like use a respiratory system, but like I said, most people, aren't good naturally at, at accessing that system. And so they need a little bit of help to drive that respiratory, uh, uh, training load. And -hmm. so that's where our, our device comes in is it allows you to, to augment that or do an, uh, an actual focused training session on that specific limiter, the respiratory system. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I guess some of the questions I'm trying to think of like what someone might be saying now, and it was probably on the tip of their tongue was, you know, why wouldn't I go out and ride my bike versus yeah. d- doing this session to train my lungs? Yep. So how do you usually answer that question? I guess, right. I, I would imagine there's a couple, you know, factors yeah. there. Yeah. So no, um, my number one way to help people train the respiratory system is to get out and move, right. The first thing that I'll recommend people to do is like, get off the couch, get out and and do your thing, whether it's swimming, biking, running, CrossFit, hockey, whatever, um, get out and move. Cause that's going to drive respiratory demand. Um, that's number one. Number two is just know that your respiratory system is not completely autonomically controlled for me to talk to you like this. I need to have control over my breath. And so I have control over how I breathe and how big my breaths are and how I control that system. And so, yes, it is going to like respond to stress, kind of like the cardiac system, but I have control on how it responds, right? So I can meet the demand with bigger, deeper, more controlled breaths, or I can meet the demand with short little puffy breaths. Mm-hmm. And if I've never thought about it before, then my body's going to always do whatever's easiest. And that's using a range of motion that I've been doing all day, every day, which is a metabolically cheap, small range of motion, gotcha. which is, as we talked about inefficient, we're just moving that dead space around and we need to be able to purge and get as much of that CO2 out so we can get as much of the fresh oxygen in. And so maybe the analogy that would resonate would be, you know, you're sitting here doing your computer work and you're using, you know, if we use the gear analogy of like on your bicycle, mm-hmm. like you're using like this tiny little, you know, nothing gear, right? Like you're, you're going yep. to the beach, your beach gear, right? Like yep. you're flat, yep. you know, your copyrighted gear. And yep. then you're saying, okay, now we want to go suddenly faster, you know, work harder, but you, there's no gears. <laughs> you, yeah. you, all you can do is pedal faster. Right. And so, you know what that yeah. would look like. And that's what, you know, I was describing my one client. That's what the breath is like. It, yeah. you know, it, it's, it looks like that. It looks like someone pedaling at 150 RPM, you know, it would be lower for breath. I guess it would be like 60, yeah. you know, but yeah. Um, but still right? like it, it's, it, it's extremely, and like, I can't tell you, like, I just, you know, um, just left the lab a second ago and had another athlete that, that has, uh, you know, uh, a challenge in, in actually accessing range of motion. Um, and so it's 
you know, it's, it's, it's prevalent. It happens. Right. And so it's about uh, training that system. So, so we talked about those first two steps in sort of getting people into respiratory training, mm -hmm. you know, the first is just getting out of moving. The second is while you're moving, just thinking about your breathing that you do have control over it. Mm -hmm. All right. And then you can start instituting some, some, some drills, right? One of the, my favorite drills for, it's very easy for runners because the cadence is a little bit more stable than bikes. Um, but, but start counting your breaths, how many steps it takes you to breathe in, how many steps it takes you to breathe out. You can do this on the bike. If you're to maintain, let's say, you know, 90 RPM, if, if that's, uh, an RPM that's, that's comfortable for you, then count how many pedal strokes does it take you to breathe in? How many pedal strokes does it take you to breathe out? And, and then, if it's, let's say four pedal strokes to breathe in, four pedal strokes to breathe out, try five and five. If that feels easy and everything feels good and uh, you're still performing the same way, then try six and six, try seven and seven, try eight and eight. Like just keep going until it starts feeling like it's a challenge. Right. And so that's the same thing that, that a coach would tell you to like, you know, the, let's choose, like, let's say cadence is the challenge for that athlete. Mm -hmm. Just choose a cadence. That's, that's challenging. Right. So that might be, that might be, 95 that might be 105 that whatever it sure. might be for you you're just challenging that system and trying to create a little bit of training stress that's going to affect um how well you can access that coordination okay and then once you're sort of through you know that that level of just you know being able to think about breathing while you're out doing your thing um and you've isolated that like i really want to like fix this respiratory system, then you start looking at other tools. And that's where the isocapnic breathe away better comes into play is that it really, that's what it's designed to do is, is isolate that system and allow you to focus your training on the respiratory system in, in a range of motion and a duration that's relevant to that system. Mm. Okay. That makes sense. I, I think hopefully that makes sense for folks. One thing I wonder is how often do you see, um, you know, someone who comes to you, you know, they, they don't have this range of motion and they're, you know, they're not able to use depth of breath. Um, yep. they're, you know, maybe used to breathing deeply. How much of it do you see is, is do, you know, maybe they, they're, in, you know, quote unquote endurance athletes and they don't ever do high intensity interval training where they might be experiencing these heavy loads, you know, maybe until a race or, you know, maybe never. Right. And then maybe they see it in a, in an assessment. How often do you see that as part of it? Not that the, the, you know, respiratory training wouldn't help with, you know, improving yeah, it, yeah. but how yep. often do you see it as like a, an actual training mistake versus, uh, I don't know how to even phrase that better, but you know, how often do you see it as a training mistake? Uh, in terms of uh, a training mistake and just like breathing shallow? Yeah, because I mean, I guess that would be a contention, right? It would be like someone who struggles with this just doesn't ever do it. So why can't yeah. they, why don't they just go do it? Why don't you go, you know, you're not doing hill intervals, you know, whatever you yep. want to do, you know, four by four on the local hill twice a week, yep. come back to yeah. me in, in two months. Would you yeah. see that person improve their respiratory system if they weren't doing that at all? They were always doing long, slow distance or something. Yeah. And like, everybody's going to be a little bit different. Some people are going to be very coordinated and they're able to, you know, you know, rub their belly and pat their head, right? They, they can, they have the coordination to add these, these uh, different sort of modalities into whatever they're doing. Um, you know, the analogy that I would use is like, you know, uh, a very skill-based uh, sport like swimming, right? We're, we're not going to give somebody a new way of, of interacting with the water, a new stroke pattern at 
at pace, you know, while they're working on their kick, while they're working on their body position, all these are the things mm -hmm. we want to isolate that, that down and allow them to practice, you know, maybe with a bungee band to learn how to keep their elbow high or learn how to like change their catch, right? Exactly what it is that we're trying to change. We isolate that first, allow them to get the feeling and maybe work on some of the strength associated with it and then take it and put it back into the real sport. And then hopefully you're going to be able to access it. And in our, you know, in our experience, like that's that's the winning sort of combinations that it yeah. it allows people to step away and really like, okay i'm not bound to arrow position i'm not bound to my to my you know my mountain bike position i'm not bound to my running gait i can just focus okay like can i breathe at 15 breaths per minute at five liters per breath right can or, try, I, or I trying to that? keep try and keep my bike you know <laughs> from falling over yeah. or something exactly right, right? So, so it just allows us to sort of step back from, from everything and focus on the one limiter. And then once we've trained either the coordination of it or the strength of it, or maybe some of the structures involved with it, then we can start to pull it back into real sport and try to train it within whatever it is that you're trying to do, whether it's, you know, cycling yeah. or running or yeah, whatever. it's almost a chicken and the egg a little bit, right? Like you know, you certainly need to be able to breathe to do better on the VO2, you know, say VO2, high intensity, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but then yeah. maybe you, maybe you can't, so you'll never go hard enough in the VO2 if you can't. So it is that. And then it strikes me that it's yeah. also a bit of this, like both and like, why not just do both? You know, again, now, now we don't have the expense uh, that the excuse of it's too expensive. So, yeah. you know, it, it wouldn't, and it may be down that pathway of uh, it's probably possible that four by four, you know, on a bicycle where we're limited yep. by our legs and everything else isn't, isn't maybe even enough or, or perhaps the respiratory system could handle more. Mm -hmm. Um, so it'd be almost like doing bicep curls. Yes. But then maybe we also do two other exercises in the gym for our biceps or something. Sure. If that yep. was our bicep goal. So it's similar with yeah. your respiratory, maybe I do four by four and that's good, but yeah. then maybe I can come home or the next day or whatever, you know, I do an endurance workout, but then I also do my, my breathe way better for half an hour yeah. or whatever it is. Well, and, and yeah. And that, that's, that's the whole idea is that we can, we can make more training hours, more effective. Right. And so instead of you um, let's say you, you have identified that you want respiratory system to be stronger. Um, and so then you start doing hill repeats to challenge that system because you, that's how hard you need to push for you to drive the respiratory demand for it to be challenging for the respiratory system. Well, the, you know, that's one way to do it. Um, the, the challenge with that is that there's added stress on the system. There's added recovery load for your week. Um, and, uh, and obviously like there's, there's risk of injury with that when really what you're trying to do is train your respiratory system. And so we're just eliminating that, that risk. We can say, okay, you can do the, the steady state ride that was, that was originally prescribed. And we can just then when we're done, do 20 minutes on breatheway and mm -hmm. and focus your your energy where needed mm -hmm. and so we get a we get a, a total training load that's much more effective and your recovery cycle is much better because you're not wasting time doing some other surrogate workout trying to get something to happen that is easier to happen somewhere else right right yeah yeah i think that that makes a lot of sense now one question that i feel like might be coming now is Okay. Okay. So that it's not too expensive. I get it. And then, 
you know, I, I'm a pretty time limited. A lot of the folks here that we work with are, are pretty time limited. How do you usually tackle, you know, that question and, or just, how do you fit it into, you know, a busy person's life there? And you know, your triathletes yep. are already probably doing three sports, if not also strength, yep. like where yep. does this fit in a, you know, an eight hour a week type person or, or yeah. does it, or does it, it doesn't have to either. Well, and I, I think, I think it absolutely does. Um, one, because uh, you can do it while answering your emails. You can do it while watching whatever show you like to watch. That's right. right? Like, yeah. It, how it how is much a, Netflix is, a, is going on here? Exactly. Right. Like it's, it's an absolutely like uh, it's a from the couch sort of workout that can be done. Yeah. Um, it is not something that you need to uh, necessarily get totally kitted out and go to the gym to, to do right. This is like, literally you can do it anywhere. Um, that was one of the, the, you know, one of the main things we wanted to be able to hit with this is that, uh, it can be done poolside. It can be done from your couch. It can be done in transit at the airport, right? Like it, it just makes, it just makes training very, very simple for the respiratory system. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it really does eliminate those barriers for, for the time crunched person. Um, you can make, you know, a little bit of hours per week go a long way because you're, you know, you're not limited to, to committing to an entire training session to try to train it. Mm -hmm. You can get the, the, the bulk of your primary training done. And this is like a nice, like sprinkle on top, the cherry on top, maybe. What do you see, you know, let's use my client that I've told you just very briefly, uh, yep. is, is using it. What would you see someone who like, you know, I'm like, this is a limiter. We need to work on this, you know, and, and hope that this, you know, at least improves yeah. things. What would you say is like a minimum dose, you know, for that person? They're, they're committed. They have the unit, you know, but again, eight hours, say a week, yep. like what, what would you say? Like, is that a five day a week, you know, half an hour a day yeah. or like how much would you, what's your ideal? Do you think? Yeah. So it, it depends on, on, um, on just how uh, uh, detrained or untrained the respiratory system is for that particular athlete. I, I have experience with, with professional level athletes that, that can't handle more than one breathe away session a week because it, it is that hard for them to do that. It throws the rest of their training off for the rest of the week. So they needed to like slowly integrate it over the span of like two to four weeks and slowly it builds up. Which, um, which doesn't, I, I think Andrew told that a story or maybe you did on Sonia's podcast that like, yeah, you, you yeah. Someone, someone gets the unit, they're psyched. You know, Peter said yep. half an hour just flippantly on this yep. podcast and then they go yep. and do half an hour and they suddenly, you know, they feel like complete crap the next couple of days, yeah. which maybe isn't apparent to folks, you know, that you could be sitting on your couch and yep. then feel, but again, your yeah. respiratory system is pretty important to, to give yeah. energy to the rest of the body. Right. Well, and, and like, that's like, so two things I want to hit on there. Like one is that like, yes, your respiratory system is like a series of muscles <laughs> and those pretty systems, central. Those, yeah. <laughs> but there is muscular, right? It is, there's intercostal muscles and diaphragm and abs and all these things are, are working together to like, to drive your respiratory system. And if they don't get trained, then they're not going to get better. Or, or um, vice versa, I guess, if they do, yeah. you know, yeah. you're, you're going to be so, or you're going to be tired. You would yeah. say I am tired and, and you know, exactly. Yeah. 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 So absolutely. It's, uh, uh, it's, it, the respiratory system is just like such an important factor to, to train on a weekly basis. Absolutely. So I guess to keep you going there, the, the minimum, you know, I, I said five by 30 minutes, uh, but the yep. person who's starting out maybe is like daily, you know, would it be five days, you know, you, you want to do it regularly yeah. like frequency, I guess. Right. So like short sessions, but frequently. Yeah. So 
on our blog, we have uh, um, a basic program to get people going, right? And it's a very like simple way to start. Starts out with like, you know, five to seven, seven minute long sessions. So, so nice and short and you'll do like a couple a week. Um, so short enough that like you're able to really focus on good technique and then slowly build up from there. Um, and then we have uh, several different like levels that you can sort of level up and uh, until, you know, you're at a point where you're, you're completing, you know, like six sessions a week um, for, you know, 10 to 15 minutes per session. Um, but, you know, like the, I have like m- one of my world champs, he, he does 30 minutes a day while he's, uh, while he's answering his emails in the morning. He gets it done early and it's just part of his, his daily routine. So and I think is- your, your unit, I'm thinking about the emails and I think it's yep. true. And maybe yeah, again, coming from Spire Tiger, the thing would start beeping at you and it's pretty heavy to hold, but I think your yep. unit is more hands-free than the Spire Tiger. It's very light, isn't it? Yeah, it's very simple. There's like, like a, one of the things that I'm most proud about with it is that you can't really do it wrong. Um, it, if you're breathing into the device, it's, it's working. Um, and, uh, that's why it doesn't need a readout. That's why it doesn't need, uh, an alarm to say, well, you're going to hyperventilate. Like it's, it, it is calibrated to keep you safe. Um, and so the app that we have that, uh, uh, to, to be at the companion with it is just to help you like follow the metronome and, and keep a pace if you need that sort of executed. Um, and then eventually our app is going to uh, uh, give you workouts and these protocols that are currently available in the uh, in the blog, they're going to be available um, at, executably through our, our app. Um, so you just pick pick the workout that uh, that best fits you and you execute cool. it as, as per usual. That being said, if practitioners like yourself design a specific workout, then your athlete can can do that workout right it can be built into the into the app hmm. now you didn't do an auditory is, am i correct about that there's no like the, the spiral tiger again i think if you've used it as I've, i think i said you i think it's like going on 15 years maybe so you're you have this like beep 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 just like drilled into your head right and then when yeah. you start screwing up it yelling yeah. at you uh, and never get an error, you know, it's just yeah. like traumatizing. So yours yeah. doesn't have the auditory, like it's very visual, right? Is that, yeah. I- so, well, our, our app has, has the, the visual sort of cue of how to breathe in, how to breathe out. Um, but then it also has like a little beep as well. Um, oh, it does. Okay. Maybe yeah, I just yeah, wasn't you, using it correctly. Yeah. yeah. If you like, sometimes if you're, if your phone is on mute or whatever, oh, it, uh, okay. yeah. Yeah. There you go. But there, there, there is a little beep in there and, you know, we have aspirations to, to play with, uh, with the animation and stuff like that. But right now for, it's, for a it's, free it's, app, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when we, and our, our aim is to keep it free, right? We, well, again, this is about removing barriers and, and making sure that people have access. And I know in, in my view, I, I believe that that respiratory is such an important part of everybody's, you know, everyday living that, uh, that this really shouldn't be, uh, you know, uh, a major barrier for entry. Love it. Uh, we're coming into our last 10 minutes here. And so I want to make sure I've gotten through everything. Is there anything that you feel like I've forgotten here as we're going through? Oh gosh. I mean, I feel like I could talk about it for days. For sure. There's so many um, ways you could go. Right. And I want to make sure that we're, you know, not going off on my like little tangents. Yeah. I want to ask you no, about I but yeah. one, we have a lot of folks who are, you know, Molly, my co-host and wife is uh, doing yep. the Leadville trail marathon running awesome. uh, yep. up at altitude and, and is a, okay. a newbie, newbie to altitude. This is her first awesome. foray into it. So certainly yep. I was like, we need to get this and, and get you trying this out. Just yes. like, it's, it's not going to hurt. It's definitely going to help. Yep. Uh, tell me a bit about that. Like someone's doing Leadville, like why might they? Awesome. 
want to think about. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, so the, the two things uh, that, that I, I would recommend for somebody going to altitude from, from a home altitude that's lower um, where you're, you, you think you're going to have some problems up at altitude or some challenges, maybe it's a better word. Um, uh, first of all, you challenging and training your respiratory system before you get there. So it's fitter and stronger to deal with the added stress load of being out at altitude will pay dividends. If you can breathe deeper and slower to meet the demands up there, it's really going to pay off. Um, the next piece is using breatheway while you're up there to help you to recover from your sessions a little bit quicker. Um, and so what that looks like is like, you know, uh, I'll give you an example of, of when we were up at Everest. Um, we're at base camp at Everest, uh, about 5,500 meters above sea level. My blood saturations were down to 70%. So very low. Um, and obviously not feeling super because of that. Uh, and what we could do with the breatheway is do two or three or four minutes of, of breatheway work. In the first 90 seconds of using the breatheway, you'll see your blood saturation levels jump back up to normal, and then you feel better. And so what we're, what we're uh, recommending for people is, uh, is kind of before bed or before the start line or before training or before breakfast, um, uh, that you you'll you'll do sessions uh, to just resaturate your your body, make you feel a little bit better. The big one is is before sleep, making sure that you you get a good sleep is such an important thing and what is very difficult for for lowlanders to do up at altitude um, because it's uh, it's so much uh, more trying on your system up at altitude. You typically don't sleep as well, and so if we can improve your sleep quality by a little bit, um, it goes a long way. Hmm. Absolutely. Now, now, do you do anything special? Like, do you have to breathe like in slower or something like to make that happen or, or no? Yeah. So, um, or again, right. The, the, the device is isocapnic. It's designed to isolate carbon dioxide. And so let's say you're just breathing without the device up at altitude out the, the, one of the defining factors of altitude is that the oxygen molecules are spaced farther and farther apart. Right, they're under less and less pressure, and so it create you need to breathe more volumes of air to get the appropriate amount of CO or oxygen into your body. In the process of doing that, you're blowing off all your CO2, and that's what makes you feel poor. Is this chronic like out of balance of CO2 and oxygen in your body? And so by doing the the um, the isocapnic set uh, for a few minutes, uh, a couple times a day, it allows you to recapture that exhaled CO2 while vacuuming up that, that spaced apart oxygen molecules. And so then you get resaturated, you feel better. It lasts a couple hours and you have a good sleep. Love it. Okay. We have anec like anecdotal evidence of, of athletes using it uh, mid race. Um, I haven't uh, uh, played with it too, too much just yet, but you know, we have lots of athletes out there in the field playing with it. We do have uh, um, a couple of studies on that uh, happening right now, and they'll be uh, hopefully published in the, in the next couple of months. Hmm. Yeah. I found that really interesting. I'm always very adverse yeah. to people stopping <laughs> races. So yeah. when you were saying that, I was like, yeah. but yeah. some of these extreme races, you know, when we're getting super, super high, it's, it's hard to say, yeah. right. What, what, well, does, two, like what long... does two minutes do? Yeah, like a long like Leadville race or whatever. If if you're you know really struggling, like I'm the same way. Like I I don't know if I would stop in the middle of the race to uh, to resaturate. Um, but you know, like I said, anecdotally, we've had a few athletes decide to to do that, um, and they reported positive things. Love it. 
Uh, this could go very, so I'm going to very down a rabbit hole. And I know it's one of your favorite areas around testing, but uh, I don't want to do that. I want to maybe just, you know, I, I, we've sort of, I think made a case that it's pretty beneficial for most people. You know, right. there's the sky's the limit for how good you can get. So it's probably everyone now, again, it's accessible. Uh, it's easy, but I'm wondering if there were, you know, are there obvious people or, or subsets of people that would like probably should really think about it. You know, I'm thinking asthmatics. I'm thinking about my client who, you know, someone's, they, the people make you know, talk about his breathing while he's racing. His spouse has said yeah. like, what is going on down yeah. there? You know, are there any yeah. of there, these populations or signs that, you know, you might just like are pretty obvious to you when, when yeah. someone's like, you're, you're going to benefit from this. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the original research that, that sort of spurred this on, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, was was revolving around COPD and asthma. Um, so absolutely, those those groups uh, uh, can benefit from this, um, uh, without a doubt. Um, and then there's this, the spectrum of athletes that are somewhat asthmatic, and I might fall into that that category myself. And so uh, if I just puff, have puffer TUDs, or, you know, this yeah. is what is it, 80% of cross country skiers or something? Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we won't get into that. Um, well, that right there is is a but is, is it a, a sales pitch for, too, right? Yeah, but that's the thing that that there alone shows you the value of your respiratory system. Yeah. If if an athlete that that has diagnosed or undiagnosed, you know, asthma can take a bronchodilator and see a performance gain, that is that is what we're doing. They're making their breathing easier and they're seeing a performance change because of it. And right. so, if we can just make the respiratory system, you know, more uh, more efficient, then that's huge. Uh, one of the metrics um, that uh, I definitely want to hit on before we're done is um, just how much energy our respiratory system requires. Um, th there's lots of research out there that shows that that sub maximal or sort of sub threshold intensities are our respiratory system takes up about 15% of our total energy output. Right, the amount of energy your body's like utilizing it 15% of that is going towards driving just your respiratory system that goes up towards 30% when we go above threshold. So it's even more so for power sports and short sprinty type sports. Um, so it's very, very important. Uh, um, the faster we go, if we can improve that efficiency, we can make that, that, uh, that total VO2 load drop, um, for the, uh, the amount of, uh, um, energy it takes to breathe, then that's more energy to go towards Watts or more energy to work to, to go towards your, your run after the bike, uh, or, or just more energy for, you know, watching your favorite Netflix show afterwards. It just, it, it makes things more effective. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love it. Yeah. I think that's, that's, you know, painted a pretty good picture, uh, for folks. Um, you know, we could certainly go deeper on this, but I think probably we'll get this first one out and try and, you know, do yeah. that. And then maybe we can have you back and, you know, once folks Absolutely. start using it and, and uh, you know, yeah. maybe I can get some more of my uh, more complicated questions perhaps answered. Yeah. Well, and I, I hope, I hope your viewers like, you know, don't pull back with like with all the questions they might have. I would love to come back on and uh, we can knock them down. Yeah. And I always say, you know, a lot of the stuff, especially now, cause it, you can't just complain about price. I'm like, you got to try it first, you know? <laughs> If you don't yeah. like it again, it's like buying a chain you don't like or something like, I think it'll be okay. But yeah, a lot of the stuff, a lot of stuff with workouts is you give it a try and then, <laughs> then you yeah. might understand too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, cool. that's the, you know, the thing is like, we, we, we worked hard to get this thing to a price point that's, 
that's an impulse buy for for a vast majority of people you know giving you the the know-how and and the protocols that that you can go and see improvement yourself Mm -hmm. um you know and then when we put that in conjunction with practitioners like yourself then it's a really like a a no-lose scenario we really have great ways to uh, monitor progress and see how things kind of morph and change uh, with that training love it uh, so that's isocapnic.com. Your Instagram has lots of stuff going on there. So that's uh, slash isocapnic. It should be easy to yep. find. Yep. Uh, we'll put all those sh- uh, in the show notes, of course, as well, if folks want that. Uh, cool. Thank you so much for awesome. your time. Yeah. Thanks so much. This is super fun. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox. 